Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious. Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership. I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do. You either acquire or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And it's proof that you're winning the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Paul. What have we got coming up today? We're going to flip the lid on flip phones, and we're going to talk about the new roles they're creating a category demands. And finally, AI. The lawyers are loving it for now, but they might not be forever. But first, Apple Vision Pro. So, does launching a three and a half grand headset mean that we've hit peak Apple? Well, announced at the Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple's Vision Pro certainly is remarkable, not just for price. I think they're out there building an ecosystem, and it's going to do pretty much what the App Store did for the iPhone. So you're not of the opinion that we're just going to see Apple scrabbling for another blockbuster, a land grab to keep Wall Street happy, and we're going to see it following Snap, Google Glass, Facebook Oculus into the dustbin of tech gadget history? Well, let's talk about the last there. So Facebook's vision of the metaverse, as they termed it, and in fact, renamed their company Meta as a result, is pretty blocky. You know, we're talking about childish cartoon-like characters. We're talking about no real applications that make sense in the real world and, a, you know, something that just looks childish. You know, Apple's last great breakthrough was just that whole combination of iPhone and iTunes. But the thing for me with that was that they were addressing a market that was sort of already there. You know, we all love music, whether it's kicking back with a cocktail or being annoyed by it in a lift. And Sony had already pioneered the um, idea of moving around with music with the Walkman. What do you think's compelling about this thing which you're going to put on over your eyes, around your head, and and somehow it's going to change your life? Well, I think the key word is pro, right? It's, it's the Vision Pro. This product is for developers, and what it is is designed to replace the very expensive rigs that those guys have. They will easily have $10,000 worth of Apple products with the nice screens and several of them and the very high-end workstations. So if you think about it in that context, it's almost a bargain. Well, it's almost a bargain. It's certainly a bargain for Apple because it looks to me like they're outsourcing their risk to their developer community. In terms of whether it's going to succeed or not. Yeah, I mean, we all know. I mean, again, just go back to that analogy about, about you know, the iPhone and iTunes. You know, ultimately, it, it's about compelling content and creating this virtual content is a much bigger ask than uh, loading a whole load of music onto something. But I think you're missing some of the, some of the key features here. And unfortunately, uh, it's, it, for a category discussion, it's unfortunate to bring it down to features of the product, but there's the ability to switch on and off the opacity of the screen. This means that I can be simultaneously with you in an office environment, and if you like, you know, headphones on, quote unquote, working from home, concentrating on those sorts of tasks that require me to be very much isolated, etc. That's that's novel, uh, and I think where they're driving with this is it is a new category, and in fact, they they named their new category, uh, and it consists of augmented reality not virtual reality, not like the Oculus, not looking at a dark screen, actually potentially interacting with other people. They're reframing a problem. They're talking about the apps that you've already used. You know, they may be Microsoft apps, they may be Apple apps, they're apps that are already used. So I think that's very clever of them. 
And they're saying they're not dictating the space. They are giving these developers a chance to develop their apps. It's an ecosystem, not a platform. It's very much the way that Apple plays out. They've announced a new category. It's spatial computing, in my mind, anything that's to do with space, your surroundings and your interaction with your surroundings, whether it's, you know, you're fully closed off or you're interacting in an AR mode. That is all up for play with this category. So you don't think that the old combination of gaming, betting, video games, these, these aren't the apps that people are going to rush to develop for in this new format? Because you're saying that back in the day, there were analogies with, with real-life stuff. Betting became online gaming, consoles begat video games, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's what people are used to. They've been building demand for this over the years. It's one of the first applications that rushes to, to new But formats. I think that's exactly what we're saying. So, so the, the work applications you've got today running on your Mac today will run on this product. And you have a good point that a lot of the very successful apps were around music, were around you know, the things that we could reference already, and they just developed them. But there wasn't really an analogy for things like Uber. There are a lot of innovations that require people to build out the ecosystem and bring a lot of functionality together. And I really think spatial computing, you think about the, the sort of possibilities, is broad enough of a category that Apple will get there. They're, they're, they're normally Johnny come lately, but they normally get it right. So there you have it. That's the category to watch, spatial computing. If you want a prediction, I should imagine that the phrase metaverse will slowly recede into the forgotten mists of time. I will definitely go with that. Look, there's Captain Hindsight. In hindsight, Nokia and Samsung shouldn't be going back to the future with a dead category, the new flip phone. Do you remember flip phones? For sure. Those, those things that died about 2010, they were the thing to have once upon a time, weren't they? I mean, remember the StarTac? Quarter of a century ago? Of course I do, like yesterday. It was amazing just how many imitators suddenly appeared in the noughties. You know, we're all looking really stylish. Let's get one of these flippy phones, much nicer than an overgrown Mars bar, which we're sticking in our pocket. Or, or so we've told ourselves. Well, these things have made it into the top 10 innovative tech products of all time. You and I will recall the colleague that we had who declined to get a BlackBerry and she absolutely wanted the flip phone. It looked cool. It flipped open like a bat phone. It looked like Star Trek. It fit right into the purse. Yeah, the Americans loved them. That was Nokia's first big problem, wasn't it? They, they missed out on the trend. And that's where the, the rot started to generate a, a, a poo. But flip phones didn't really have a terribly long day because all the smarty pants were starting to move over to text-based communications. And we were looking at Blackberries. I mean, the Blackberry ruled the roost for probably a decade. I mean, a lot of us had both, didn't we, really, in those days. But then, yet again, Apple came in, changed the game, touchscreens, app stores, and on top of that, social media arrived. Well, I think, you know, we both regretted handing in our Blackberries at the end of the day, but the writing was on the wall. There was no app store, there was no app economy, there was no ecosystem, really, for the category of text phones. They sort of evolved it to its final state. It was very beautiful at what it did. But the problem we were solving moved on. Yeah, and, and, and it caused quite a few companies to move on. Sony moved out, Philips moved out, even Motorola decided it really wasn't very good at consumer marketing and, and bowed out. So we, we thought they were dead by about 2010, or so we thought. So they're back. They're back. They're back. You know, and, and Nokia, 
Good God. I mean, is it like a cockroach? You know, can you kill it? Uh, and Samsung, who, you know, pretty impressive company, have, have been trying to resurrect them, but but in quite different ways. To be fair, those both those companies are probably about a century old, right? Yeah. These are companies that do survive, but we still think they've got it wrong with this move. The interesting thing is that they're trying to market them in very different ways. You know, Nokia's doing a sub hundred pound phone for seniors. That's that's people older than, than you or I. And But Samsung have gone to the other extent and, you know, it's a thousand pound touchscreen that you can fold. But my view is, have you actually ever seen one being used outside of an advert? Uh, yes, but I'm just waiting for the crease to appear in the hinge. Oh, yeah, it's bound to appear. But the reality is, is, is that, you know, most people's pockets and bags are, are stuffed with bigger, ever more featured iPhone Galaxy behemoths. These are great big devices that take great pictures, serve huge social media ecosystems. And I guess Henry Ford said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And we're saying it's all over. But just to argue against that for a second... I give you the vinyl revival. I mean, both of us, we've both got turntables, yeah? But, you know, you try sticking a turntable in your pocket, you know, you just see how long that vinyl LP lasts if you slightly mistreat it. You know, the reality is that if you're just looking at music at content, the vast majority of that is consumed by streaming these days. Anything else is just looking back in history, thinking what a, what a great time. It's, it's just nostalgia. So n- nostalgia and niche are where these products from yesterday's categories end up. Absolutely, the two ends. And the, the form factor there was very small beside your face. It was very cool. As I said, it, it fitted into your pocket very nicely, etc., etc. And now we're going completely the other way. It's something we talked about earlier. The Apple Vision Pro completely envelops the face and, in fact, brings you into a new spatial computing dimension. And so the, as the problem changes, the categories change as well i think the reality is nice warm feeling that they might give us there's going to be no second coming for flip phones that's really it it's over and retro sheet works work works for nostalgia and niches but not for huge tech categories what are nokia and samsung thinking the tech category they're dead dogs sorry nokia sorry samsung You've got to learn to earn. So from rocks to rolls, how category unearths and unleashes new talent in your organization. Yeah, so I think last time we were a little bit hard. We were talking about, you know, how we think certain roles are, if not redundant, certainly questionable when you're on a category design journey. And I think there's a other half to the story, right? There's the roles that are yet to be created. There may be people you've already got that we think, from our experience, are very valuable if you're going to create a category that rocks yeah indeed and i think the first thing you really need to think about is a a head of category partnerships and you need somebody whose job is to worry about the future readiness of the market by building the relationships in that will deliver a force of upcoming partners there's no no use you being out there and like shouting on your own into the ether you've got to have people that appear to strongly agree with you and align with your strategy and give it the momentum it's going to need. Yeah, these are not people that you maybe have existing relationships with. And the sort of person that that, that does this, sure, they need to be a people person. But they also need to fully understand what it is you're trying to achieve and think beyond the obvious next steps, right? Of course, you're going to want to try and get this story out into the media. Of course, you're going to want to have killer events where people get enthused about your point of view. And of course, you're going to want to have 
partners, some of whom may be just on the implementation side, but they may not be the guys that you've spoken to previously. And that is a sort of salesy role that may not uh, suit the folks that are currently in the quote unquote partners organization. Yeah, I mean, so much of this as in any sales process is about uh, champion identification and then working with that champion to bring the partner organization round your point of view and to get locked on with you on the category journey. So this might be someone in a more junior role and they may be facing off to somebody also in a junior role. But if they both succeed and nothing succeeds like success and they build a category that they've both been involved in, they may be destined for bigger things. You have to go down and identify the talent, maybe lower down in the stack. That's a a really, really, really good point because so often people at the top of the stack have got the most to lose. They're often the people that are going to want to slow down any category journey, yet you've got people coming up that think they can build their career on, on, on category design and development. So, yeah, so if you get hot, young, very bright people in the organizations, they're often the people that will work together between the two organizations and drive it all forward. So what we described there's a very creative type of individual, you know, very people-person-oriented, very good at seeing and striking up new relationships. On the other side, another new role we see is, is, and we recommend this all the time, is to have somebody that is the strike owner. So that's somebody that's probably a little bit more grounded, maybe has a few more, as politely we say, miles on the clock, attention to detail right off the scale, and also ability to persuade lots of different folks that this is the right thing to do. Um, It can often be in very small companies that this is a role that falls to the CEO. That's not brilliant because the CEO's got plenty of other things that she needs to do, you know, around things like making sales and hiring people and investment rounds. But we're talking about somebody with the gravitas to pull off organizing all the moving parts for a strike so that when you strike, which by the way, as a reminder, is a non-movable date, products notwithstanding, uh, marketing campaigns notwithstanding, partnerships notwithstanding, strikes a strike, it happens when it happens, coordinate everything all at once. And that requires a specific sort of person that is almost like a regimental sergeant major. It is, but I, I think they generally have to be at the XO level because they will need a certain amount of influence to be able to put themselves on the line to assure people that this will be a good thing. However, there is another individual involved in strike that tends to be at a more junior level, but can be the most critical of everybody. And that's the person that really, really keeps the show on the road. So almost like the strike owner that we talked about there is the project sponsor. Yes. And below them Project is, is really the, the heart of the of the, the engine here. Uh, and it's a fabulous role. You know, not many people are, are given the role to uh, lead a strike, but the strike leader is the, the person that is doing all the project management, making, coordinating all the calls, making sure that actions are done. And that requires a different sort of confidence and power than maybe the project yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for those of us who grew up with um, building teams around Belbin analyses, this, this is the ultimate completer finisher job. You know, your um, the project sponsor is going to be the enabler. Uh, the strike lead has to deliver, has to get all the ducks in a row at all times. Um, and these people need to be delivered maximum respect, even though they may be relatively junior. But if, if you're a person that wants to make a name for yourself, Getting this job in a company that's recategorizing could be your dream career move. 
So what we're saying here is that you know some of these some of these words and these phrases, these these titles, you know, strike lead, strike owner, head of category, partnerships, they may not exist today. That's okay, and they may be people that you move across to new roles. But just be aware that the, the set of skills that you need to create a category are likely to be very, very different to what you have at the moment. What does the future hold? Let's look into our crystal ball. Right then, Jonathan, tell me what you see in your crystal ball today. Mm, it's clearing. Oh, yes. Generative AI will finally break the IP of creative art. Are we sure? I mean, they like to hold on to their IP. They have tons of lawyers. Think about Spotify. Think about Kazoo. Think about all of those legal battles. Think about Led Zeppelin withholding all of its tunes from Spotify. Are we really sure that this is it? Generative AI is going to break all of that. You know, the problem with the law is it, it constantly drags behind technical innovation. And I think the impact of generative AI is going to be so quick and so fast, it will be impossible to track it. Well, there's going to be a lot of lawyers very disappointed about this. They normally plod along, as you say, behind tech, get some case law, win case by case. But I guess the issue is, uh, once upon a time, you know, two 22-year-old kids, guys I was at school with called Liam and Noel, could knock out a tune and live off it forever. Who wants to live forever? Sure. But just live, live, live forever, see what you're doing there. Live off yeah. the royalties forever. Yeah. That's what you need to do. I think the problem is the amount of content that these things can knock out makes it impossible. Yeah, and, and the issue is how do you track where that content came from. I mean, you know, we've seen a few cases in music, certainly with sampling. That has eventually developed into, into a form of case law. But I see this more like, imagine around the invention of photography. If somebody had come along, some clever lawyer had come along and gone, sorry, you can't take a photograph of that tree. You'll have to pay a loyalty to the landowner on which that tree grows. Can you imagine what have, would have happened to this massive revolution in visual arts that eventually led on to digital? It would, have, it would have gone stone dead. And I think we're at that level of inflection point at the moment. I mean, it seems to me that at the moment with the lawsuit that Reddit and others are, are holding up against the large language models, that they're claiming that they're owed revenues. And that works as long as there are very few of the sort of pools of content that, that, that people are drawing from. But proving it out, and proving it out at scale seems ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not like there are an infinite number of rock stars. There aren't. Uh, our good friends works in the, in the catalogue uh, department of a very large record company. And there are just dozens of artists that he cares passionately about. Everyone else he doesn't care so much about. But when you get an infinite amount of possibilities, when the creators are everybody and even um, you know, maybe not even just people, how on earth is the legal industry going to catch up with this? Yeah, I mean, it'd be like, how do you trademark common knowledge? And let's not forget, we're, we're sort of having this discussion from a Western perspective. You know, we've seen that the Chinese will absolutely not respect legal restrictions on, on, on IP ownership. It is a very Western concept, and it's a very legal concept. And I, I think, ironically, our friends in the legal profession may find that there just isn't a role for them. And where I see this going down the line is you know, some means of, and maybe this is where you know NFTs and, and blockchain comes in, some means of tagging content that doesn't need a human being to catch up many years later and launch 
uh, case law, but in actual fact, divvies up what's due to who on the fly using AI much the way it was created. I mean, this may ultimately be the application that proves blockchain. We've been waiting for that for quite a while. So thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard today, maybe you'd like to read some more. You can do that at our blog, becategorical.com. And remember, don't be better, be different. Be different.